Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Yes, caught offside, just outside of New York City, from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Why didn't you just start the podcast by saying, from just outside the depths of despair, and from an apartment in Brooklyn. From just outside the seventh layer of hell. And from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. I've been a sports fan a long bleeping time. Haven't had many weekends like this one. This was horrifying. Horrifying. Well, you were in uncharted waters in that you had a championship loss followed in mere hours by another one. That doesn't happen to a lot of cities. No, I think it's unprecedented. So from the reading that I've done in the wake of all this um it's the first time a city an individual city has ever lost two championships on the same day in the history of american sports it could only happen to philadelphia <laughs> it could only happen to philadelphia oh it's man just, it's just so the ethos of the city like it's you know on, on during the week like they're the toast of the nation. You know, Philadelphia is the center of the sports universe. The Eagles are undefeated. The Phillies are in the World Series. The Union are preparing for uh, MLS Cup final. The Sixers season is up and running. And then, like, you wake up the next morning. Now, granted, the Eagles won to move to 8-0. But you wake up the next morning, and James Harden is out for a month with a foot injury. The Phillies have been no hit in a World Series. And then you fast forward to the weekend, the union lose. I mean, it's got to be the most devastating loss in MLS history. I think, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's biased to say 
uh, and the Phillies are eliminated from the World Series after taking a lead initially and then losing the game. Life happens fast when you're a sports fan. It happens really, really fast. And it's why you have to appreciate the good moments because the bad ones are always just right around the corner. And I'll say this before we even get into the union. I will say this for however horrifying this weekend was. And trust me when I tell you, I was, I was low. I was in a bad place on Saturday night when all of this, when I had a chance to just kind of sit there and think about just like the whiplash of that day. Um, and just how quickly it all, everything ended, just like all of it, uh, with the exception, again, of the Eagles. But I'll say this about it. I've lived through um, I've lived through the bad seasons, the process years with the Sixers, the last 11 years or so with the Phillies, the Union's beginning, um, and what those years were, and the disaster that that was. You know, I've lived through a lot of the bad, and for for whatever the feelings were that I had after this, I will take this every single time over the apathy of nothingness over the apathy of 70 win seasons for the Phillies or, you know, 14 win seasons for the Sixers. Like those seasons, they don't hurt the way losing a championship, especially in the manner that the union lost theirs. They don't hurt the same way, but I'm a sports fan. Like I want to be invested. I want to feel the hurt sometimes, you know, it's what makes the good times feel better. And, what you get in a nothing season is apathy. You don't feel anything. So like it sucked as a sports fan. I would say Saturday is, is maybe the worst sports day I've ever experienced. I have my list in my head. If I, if this was a Philly specific podcast, I'd run through it. Um, but I'll, I'll save that. I guess some tweet me if you're really interested, <laughs> but like, <laughs> at a but, bundling. I'll, but I'll, but I'll take, I suppose in a weird, bizarre way, I'll take that. I'll take that and just the ride that it was along the way. Um, and, you know, it's hard to kind of see it in this moment right now. But, like, to get this far, you have to experience a lot of good and a lot of fun and a lot of great memories. And that all that happened and more. It's a shame that the ending, for me personally, was what it was. Um, it hurt bad, but... I mean, F it, man. That's that's sports. Like that's what you sign up for when you become a fan and when you're when you get invested. And so I guess with that, let's let's dive into it. Um well, because MLS just, Cup final was the it was the stuff of legend. Let's just say uh there's a lot to cover on, on the podcast. We got a mailbag coming, we've got uh, you know, the Premier League, but I, I, I set up the rundown. So we are beginning with MLS Cup because it was an amazing game. And it's also part of what I like to call Andy's weekend of woe. So I didn't want to bury this. I wanted to lance this boil immediately because for as good a game as this was, Andrew, I I know the Phillies is a, a tough loss to take, but at least with the Phillies, you could say they had to win that game to even force game seven. So there was no guarantees of anything on Saturday night. However, the union could touch the cup. The union had ribbons on the cup. Yeah, the union I mean, were preparing beers and vodka and whatever else you put in a cup to drink from the cup. And it was all taken away. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm not, 
don't back me into a corner where I have to compare the two losses. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm just uh, saying there was there was something. Yeah, the, very... the nature of them were different. I mean, look, my my history with the Phillies is is deep, uh, so I'll leave it at that. Um, it goes it goes way back. Uh, I'll leave that where it is. But in terms of the nature of the losses, yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, I look at the Union loss and. Again, and I feel bad approaching it from this angle. I can't help it. Like this is this is the angle I approach it from because it's the lens through which I viewed the game and this whole experience. There, of course, is a glory side to this. If you're an LAFC supporter, like this is the greatest moment in your club's history. And I don't know if I don't know when it'll be replicated, if it ever even can be. Well, steady with the history. You're you're talking about deep things go with with, with the Phillies. Phillies go back a long way. If we're, <laughs> you've got a, you know, LAFC exists what not even a decade. Not it's even. distinctly possible that we're sitting here, you and I, doing this podcast 70 years from now, kind of puttering around at the old, ripe old age of 110, <laughs> <laughs> and we might still be sitting here saying, eh, that LAFC victory back in 2022 still haven't come close to one like that. Like yeah. It was that incredible for them. Um, it, was, but, it, was, it was nuts. It was a bizarre game. But there are two sides to it. And like I said, I approach it through the union side. And, I, and I'll say this, like, that's a forever defeat. Like, that's a defeat. There are some losses that are, I think, that just, like, resonate so profoundly through the sports history that I think, like, they define an era in some terms. Like, you can go through, I, I, I look at certain Super Bowls, you know, the Patriots in 07. Like, that was the sort of loss for a Patriot team that was undefeated at the time going for history that, like, the, the nature of the loss, the Tyree catch, like, it's a forever loss. It defines an era of, of the NFL. You know, the Seahawks Super Bowl loss, when they didn't hand it off to Marshawn Lynch, it defines an era. Uh, you know, you, let's keep it to soccer. Like, there's some, you know, I, I look at, you know, the way Ajax lost in 2019 for a club that doesn't, at this stage in, in their existence, doesn't get to that moment quite so often. It's a forever loss. It defines an era of of the Champions League. This this loss for the Union, this is like this is like the front page of of an MLS history book. Would be this defeat to like to have scored the latest goal in MLS history, only to then immediately concede the new latest one three minutes later in the same game it, in a it, final. Yeah, it stands alone. And I don't want to, you know, delve into hyperbole, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's a tough one to get over. That is an... You don't! You don't get over it. It it exists on its own. And even if they win MLS Cup next year, that will still be there. Because like you said, it's a forever loss. The very nature of it. There's no erasing it. there's There's no curing it. It's always going to be there. And I think... I just think that... For for what the union did in the game, they fell behind, they equalized. They had their moment where Andre Blake made a great save to keep them in it. They had all the elements of their season and they had the cup in their grasp and it somehow got away. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you say is interesting that like it's the kind of loss that you don't forget. Um I think it was just recently in the in the Jeter doc that ESPN did where like the Yankees did a lot of winning during that time. Yeah. But like to hear them talk 
about it. I think it was Cashman, Jeter as well. Like, 01 versus the Diamondbacks. Uh, obviously, 04 versus the Red Sox. Like, all the winning that they did, it's like those two things are the things that they remember. Like, they can't escape those losses. And like you said, the Union, they could win the next three MLS Cups. Like, I don't think they're, they're going to lose some players. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Like, they're they not going to look exactly the same next season. But they've they've kind of built themselves into a machine, certainly as long as Jim Curtin is there. And this whole this whole establishment, I, mean, I think they kind of, at this point, they know how to crank out young talent. They know how to scout. We talked about that with Gazdag and, and the deep scouting that they conduct and how successful it is for them. So they'll still be good. But they could win the next three of these things. And, like, can you ever outrun a defeat like this? No. It's not it, easy. No. no, it stays with you. Um, Bayern Munich have not outrun 99. That, that, that defeat haunts the upper echelons of that club. And they are, they've been tremendously successful since. It's still there. It, it will, Barcelona 99, losing to United in that fashion, goes nowhere. It is going to be replayed forever. And it'll stick with Oliver Kahn and Sami Kufour and Stefan Effenberg and all of them forever. It's just there. And, and this is a defeat like that. Now, we should say, for, for balance, there was a winning team in this. Sure. who had their own enormous uh, disadvantage to overcome in extra time where their goalkeeper had his leg broken and a goalkeeper was sprung off the bench who became the hero eventually. And they also brought on Gareth Bale, who came onto the field and did nothing, like nothing, and then did everything all at once. <laughs> So LAFC deserve deserve credit too, um, in, in this in this remembrance of MLS Cup, which has turned into a rather somber. Yes, it has become somber. And by the way, on that note, I just want to say that like some people don't want pity; they're too proud for it. I'm here to say I'm here for all your pity. <laughs> all right, I'm here for it. I I crave it. I need it. I need your pity. Did you check out what the me. animals did on Reddit? No, actually, they had I, a threat. I, they had a thread for you. It was very nice, very, oh, really? very nice. Um, mostly nice comments. The the occasional mean spirited one, but mostly really nice things. People worried about you. People <laughs> concerned about you. It was. Uh, it was. I was touched by it. Wow, that is very nice. Um, they're great. The animals are. Uh, they're some of my favorite animals on the planet. Um. Let's talk about the game. JJ, this is I saw this tweet from uh Thomas Floyd and it just it just so beautifully sums up the chaos of MLS, like the beautiful chaos of MLS. He tweets, "Only in MLS can a team win a title with an extra time equalizer from a former 111 million dollar Real Madrid star and shootout heroics from an ex-member of the Rochester Rhinos and Ocean City Nor'easters." <laughs> Like if if that's not just like the perfect summation of MLS, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's, I, this league is great. It's just the most fun. Yeah, it was. Um, it was something for McCarthy to come into the play and uh, and make himself man of the match. I mean, of of all the, of all the players, of all the of all the characters out there, his was not one that you. And I'm sure he. 
he did not want to see his teammate. You know, the goalkeepers uh, at football clubs are so close together because they work together so often. So he would have been absolutely devastated to see what well, happened. He spoke about that even after winning mm. and being named man of the match. Like this is the the crowning achievement of a life for this guy. But he grew up in Philly, went to LaSalle, um, was a union kid. Uh, and he spoke after the game and he said, I, I wish this had happened against a different team. Um, you know, cause he said on another day, if, if we weren't in it, I would have been sitting there on the edge of my seat rooting for them. Um, but life, life works in, in very funny ways. And like his, his life, his professional life came full circle on this afternoon. It did, but he, uh, I mean, he would not have wanted it to, to happen in the way that it did in terms of, uh, Maxime Crepu get being hurt in that way. But, and red carded, by the way. And red carded. Correctly red carded. It what I dub it showed the chaos of the game that it was a horrifying, terrible injury, but also the correct decision. Eventually the referee got to the correct decision and gave him a red card after initially giving a yellow. Um but uh you know <laughs> to come off the bench and to to be so focused then for penalties and, and actually made on on Elliot's uh, was it his equalizer? No, he no, made... it was the the what what appeared to be the winner for that Elliot. You're talking about the save that McCarthy made. Was that but was, Elliot? Was that the go ahead? It put the Union up three two. But right. before El- Elliot scored on the rebound, but the initial save that McCarthy made was sensational. It was sensational. It was one of the best saves I've ever seen. But I think it was brilliant the way Elliot reacted to get on to to follow in and score. Um. So I mean, he had he'd seen everything in the game, absolutely everything, and then he has to go and save penalties. And now we can argue about the penalties. They're some of the worst penalties we've ever seen. Um, but at the same time, saves had to be made, and he did he did that. It's it threw up such amazing storylines. This game, there's so many angles you can shoot off in. I I have to say with um, with Bale's goal. Uh, the cross from Palacios was so good. And that ball was in danger of going out over the sideline. But the fact that he had to stretch and he was cutting it back from that angle worked supremely well for him. And Bale just rose. And and that's a monster header. An absolute monster header. And on the replay, you know what I'm doing? I'm watching mm-hmm. Bale's landing foot. And I'm like, injury-wise... He needs to land with both feet to protect. No, landed on one and then ran more than he ran in the entirety of his cameo in the <laughs> celebration. His movement in the celebration was much better than um, than an actual play. The bail goal. I mean, it's the context of it is that it's Gareth Bale, through all this weird twists of fate is now the author of one of the most legendary moments in the history of American soccer. That's a weird sentence, but it, but it's, it has to be true. Yeah. But it it does nothing for the evaluation of his, of the totality of his time in Los Angeles so far. So that's what I wanted to discuss. That's why I bring this up. I found that, I mean, look, first off, I will preface this by saying that what I'm about to say might be my most biased take in the history of this podcast and that is saying something because i have spoken with quite a bit of bias over the years on many different topics but i found the bail being the hero role 
I found it a little bit kind of meant mentally conflicting. Like, I'm not sure what to make of this. Like it just felt like such a mercenary moment. Like a guy, Oh yeah. He signs with such, so much fanfare and then does so little gets hurt, barely plays. Then all of a sudden he's healthy enough for this comes off the bench, scores one of the biggest goals in MLS history. And it's all sort of amidst the backdrop that we're like, we're not sure how much he actually cares about anything that isn't Wales in the world cup. And like now he recedes into where, I mean, maybe he'll still be with them next season. I don't know. Um, but it just felt like, it just feels like such a weird person to have kind of won this moment. I don't know how I, it felt a little gross to me. I'm going to be honest. It felt kind of gross and yucky. Um, Xavier Royer, or Royer, contacted us. Union fan, if you want a knee-jerk reaction for the pod, it's frustration that we just went down to pens with homegrowns and draft picks and lost to a bought and paid-for team. It's mm-hmm. frustrating, but also in a weird weird way brings pride to see us being on guys like Aronson and Burke when the other is casually sending on Gareth Bale, who has about as much connection to the club as I have to the Czechoslovakian second division. Um, I, I, are we going to criticize? I suppose it was put to Don Garber at halftime in, in that little, uh, little interview that he always does at halftime in, in MLS cup with Fox, you know, about, Oh, this is two teams that have built in two completely different ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't like, I mean, signing Vela, Carlos Vela was, a good move was a, a you know it, it's worked out well for LAFC and any and most other teams in the league would try and get a player in like that. So I don't want to moralize about him in particular, but the fact you can stockpile Gareth Bale, him do nothing, and then have him come on for like you said such a crucial moment, it does feel a bit, a bit weird. I'll say weird. But is it wrong though? I mean, like. I mean, it's not as a wrong. union, it's not a war would, crime. Would union fans have been angry had it been them that signed Bale? Well, I doubt no. that. I very no. much doubt that. I mean, it's right. easy they to wouldn't. Take. They would have embraced it and sold a lot of jerseys. So, I don't know. Like I, I get what he's saying. There, there is something that feels a little bit, I don't know, a little more pure when you talk about developing talent on your own going out there and, and finding talent in a way that, you know, other teams can't see these guys, like they don't see it and you find these guys and you're proven right. Um, like any, you know, a lot of people could have looked at Vale, Carlos Vela and said, Oh, he's, we all knew he was, he was a great player. Um, he just, LAFC happened to get him. Um, but so I, I see what he's saying, but I don't know. Like I, I don't typically subscribe to that idea that there's there's only one correct way to build no, a winning team. But I know, but it is it is interesting, you know, you see was it was it Chris Donovan they brought on? The union. Uh, that the union brought on. Yeah, just and and you seen him come on and he was just this child and then you look at his kind of you look at his CV and he he's he's appeared six times for the first team. I mean, he's been playing mostly in the reserves, and he's I mean, there. He is. You're he's right. Just, like he's introduced. It just feels, it feels more. Ah, 
authentic. No, those, those late substitutions say everything that you need to know about the two teams who are involved in this game. One brought on that kid, and the other brought on that legend. Like, you know, like, those were the late subs. So, yeah, like, that's... That's, but that's kind of what makes all this fun, I suppose. That like there are, there is no, there is no individual formula that equals winning. There's a lot of ways to do it, and both of these teams, even in a losing effort, the Union, I think, I do believe that they proved that their model of success is one that you can win championships with, even though they've sure. yet to do so. I, I think that that you know, up three two in the 124th minute, um, on the road in a final, I think proves that to me at least. Um, so I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I said what I had to say about Bale. It felt a little, it just didn't feel, it felt weird to me to see him just be this, become an MLS legend without having really done any of the work to earn that. Um, but, but like, you know, sports, sports presents heroes in weird ways. So yeah, I I don't know. It, It, that it is what it is, I suppose. Listen, um, before we get off this game, we should just say it does fall into the category of a great advert advertisement for the league. You know, or if if you're gonna market MLS to, you know, foreign networks and TV stations, that's the game you're gonna show. Here's our showcase final. This is how good the game was. Because I was worried it was gonna be one of those finals where, you know, very tight, very tetchy, not much happens, and then there's like a penalty, and that's the deciding goal. But this was this was just the two best teams in the league slugging it out, punch for punch, right to the very end. And it was a great final, really. I think it's the John Strong was right. Like when he corrected Alexi Lawless, when when Alexi said it's the greatest MLS Cup final we've ever seen, and John Strong said, "No, no, no, this is the greatest MLS game we've ever seen." I think that's true. When you think about all that was at stake, the caliber of the two teams involved, the drama of the match itself, I think it is. I think it is. So yeah, I mean, you're right. Unbelievable advertisement for the league. I mean, really, the atmosphere in that place, like everything about it, was picture perfect. Um. So, I mean, I even with my team coming up short, I co-sign that statement without question. I think um, we should uh, we should we should round off by saying congratulations to Steve Gerundolo and and everyone at LAFC. There's no bitterness here. We were just just pointing out <laughs> that if you can spring Gareth Bale in extra time to take you to penalties and save your save your Save your MLS Cup final. That's a pretty amazing thing to be able to do. Now, you're right, but like, I won't hold that. I, I'm not going to use that in some way against Steve Chirundolo. Like, There's been a lot of great teams that have come through MLS. Not many have won the Supporters' Shield and the MLS Cup final in the same season. Toronto FC were the last to do it in 2017. He's a first-year manager. You know, he's He's come up through the ranks first year with the team by the way they go out and sign bail and then all of a sudden he barely has him at his disposal through the remainder of the season and yet it didn't affect them um Giorgio Chiellini was one of their other key pickups not available for the final has to figure it out and they do and now granted they gave up three goals but you know they they still won the game um so you know there might be 
we'll see what happens next for Steve Chirundolo, but I would think that this was this was quite an introduction to the managerial world for him, and there could be bigger things um, than this on the horizon. I don't know when exactly, but you know, obviously he's a he's extremely well respected from his time in the Bundesliga. Um, wouldn't shock me at some okay. point if you saw him going over there. Wouldn't shock me at all. Um, so we'll see. I mean, look, it, looking ahead for these teams and and what happens next. You know, the Union, I think, are going to lose. I mean, obviously, it sounds like Paxton Aronson is on his way to Frankfurt. Um, great move for him. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, perfect for his development. Uh, it sounds like uh, Olivier Mbazo might be on his way out. Kai Wagner, another one who sounds like might be on his way out. In fact, I think we have mail uh, in our mailbag later in the podcast. I think that's going to come up for where he might be headed next. So, you know, the Union will look a little bit different, but like I said, at the top of this, I just kind of have a, this faith in them and in that manager um, that their, their, their spot atop the Eastern conference and near the top of the league will, will continue LAFC. I mean, Carlos Vela said afterwards that he expects that to him, this was the first of one, two more. Like he did not see He didn't sound like a guy who's going anywhere. He wants more of these. And like we've just talked about LAFC have spending power, I expect them to kick on and flex that muscle. They're going to want to chase this feeling again. I mean, look, who knows who gets back to this thing, but I think you enter next season when we're doing our prediction special. I think uh, I think this one would be a final that we might say we could see this again, much the way Seattle, Toronto FC had a few. It wouldn't stun me if we saw another LAFC Philadelphia. They could become the staples of the league in terms of being at the the, the business end certainly in, in the here and now, uh, but fun season capped off by a, a final for the ages. I mean, really, truly um, incredible stuff, incredible stuff. Congratulations to LAFC deserving champions. I mean, they've been, they've been a great team since their inception and um, you know, it, it does make sense that they have a title and I think the unions will come. Um, like we said, they, they are smart the way they go about things. It w- I will say this though, you know, in response to the the message from the guy saying that, you know, one team buys players, the other does it in kind of paraphrasing the right way. Um, I wouldn't hate it if the union found a way to merge the two. You know, you can do both. You can do both. You can build from within. You can continue to scout the way that they scout, but you can also spring for big players to try to make, you know, to try to do the things you got to do to get over the top. Um, it's It's not a crime to go out and do that. Now, I'm not criticizing them. They're they're very smart, and it's look how it's worked for them. Um, but if they want that title, it, it, they were just given a cruel reality check into how difficult it is. I so, don't. I don't. I actually totally disagree with that. Uh, I mean, they get all the way to MLS how? Cup. Uh, they get all the way to MLS Cup final. Uh, they're three minutes away, and Gareth Bale scores the winner. I mean, it's it's the most. Uh, they were right there with what they were doing. They don't need to add any stars. That's not the reason they lost. The reason they lost is you can't make the reason they lost that. Oh, well, you didn't have Gareth Bale. Not maybe me. next time, maybe with a certain caliber of player, maybe next time that game is in Philadelphia instead of in LA. I think you they've know, done maybe, all they maybe possi- that matters. I think they've done all they possibly could. And if, 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 if we're being serious, if anything hamstrung both teams during that final, it was an inability to defend crosses into the box from a variety of pieces. Yeah. So, you know, anyway. Well, there you have it. JJ has spoken uh, and I am a 
a buffoon. <sighs> that was one hell of a game, my friend. It was. It was. It's game. time to move you off it, though. As your therapist now, I, I want you to move on. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah, let's your... move on. Let's move on to the next thing. Another caught offside cup defeat for me. Oh, yeah. Give me your pity. I need <laughs> your pity. Conte uh, uh, was looking for a little bit of pity after this one. He was uh, he was a bit upset about booing. He got a, he got booed off at halftime after another stinking first half from Spurs, which yeah, didn't become a familiar soundtrack at that stadium. Yeah, at the ends of first halves. He said, "I don't." He kind of said, "I don't mind it." And usually, when someone says that, they definitely do mind it. He said he didn't mind it, but that um, you know, fans pay their money; they're entitled to express their opinion. Yada yada yada, but. He would prefer, I think he's, he didn't really love it. The fact he brought it up at all was, I mean, I'm sure he was asked about it, but he kind of went on a little bit about it. So he's not, he's not happy, but I don't know. I mean, maybe stop playing like dog bleep for, for the first 45 minutes. Do you know what's interesting? I was thinking today, if you were to ask a Tottenham supporter, uh, you know, oh, um, I haven't seen any, you know, you go up to a Tottenham supporter and you say, Listen, I haven't seen any football this season. Can you tell me what style of play would you describe Conte as having at the moment? And the Tottenham supporter will go, well, I think the most important thing is that we are very, very big on being shite in the first half of games. And that is a, that is a hallmark of this team. And it's not a trait that we give up lightly. I don't get it. I don't understand why this needs to continue. Like they even said on the broadcast, like they kind of joked about it. <laughs> like at one point Tottenham were, they were flying in the second half. Yeah. And Peter Drury made a comment where he basically said, you know, why, why can't they just do this all game or at least in the first half? Now, like I know that's easier said than done, but they never do it. Not even once. No. Now they were unlucky in, on two occasions. Uh, the ball that went into the cro- uh, into the box, uh, Perisic went up with, with with Allison, and it kind of rebounded off Allison's shoulder or his head and onto the post. I mean, that easily mm-hmm. could have gone in. There was the penalty shout, which, considering that a little bit later, Alexander Arnold was penalised for almost exactly the same thing, even possibly a little bit less, and a free kick was given, suggests that. Very much operational in the referee's mind was, okay, that is probably a penalty, but I don't want to give it because it, it might seem a bit soft. Um, but that could easily have been a penalty. So so Spurs did have little moments, but a very, like, I, I thought the, the Liverpool goal, the Salah first goal was brilliant, the way he flicked it yeah. up to him. It was a brilliant move. Man, but that was really that was real truly impressive how quickly he was able to whip his leg around and, and score that goal. It was also truly impressive how, Tottenham seemed to not get close to him or have him marked in that in that scenario too. And then Eric Dyer just does something where you're like, there's there's no mitigating, there's no tactics, there's no anything that can save you if the guy is, is going to just completely whiff on a header and lay it up for Mohamed Salah, who again finished brilliantly. So first half, yeah, not good from Spurs, but I mean, second half... The introduction of Kuliszewski and Doherty. I mean, if you look at Spurs fans right now, they're convinced Doherty has to start because the the other gentleman who is the option there, I mean, there's no Will kind Emerson. thing. 
Emerson. There's no kind things being said about him at all. Um, he he played a ball. He he tried to play a cross at one point, and I mean you probably remember it. Like, can you can you miss a cross by like sixty yards the way he did? Like, and I and because I know that there's already this, he's already kind of a thing among Tottenham fans. Like, you know, every fan base sometimes like has a guy that they're like, okay, I love my team, but you, that guy. He's going to be the like you have to not like somebody. A lot He's of fans the feel boy. that way. Yeah, a lot of fans feel that way sometimes about their own teams. That like, I think that notion is kind of dumb. You don't have to dislike anyone on your team, but a lot of fans feel like they just got to have a guy that they take their angst out on, and and he's it right now yeah. for Tottenham. And so when he does stuff like that, I immediately just think, oh Emerson, you poor soul. Don't check Twitter tonight. Don't check Twitter tonight. But but when you see it's the ugly, you when you see the joy that they got down the right-hand side, the left-hand side of Liverpool's defense in the second half and how they linked together, how Doherty, Kuliszewski and Kane linked together for the goal, which was a really nice goal. Um, You want, you you know, you want Conte to do more of these things. Well, like maybe start those guys. Now, granted, Kuliszewski, I don't think they wanted to, to start him because I don't think he was ready and they're kind of managing him back into the team. Conte has a weird kind of relationship with with Doherty where he loves him and then he and then he kind of hates him and says I don't want to play him because he's going to make me lose and then he loves him again and then he drops him again so you don't you don't know where he starts I thought Dyer and maybe you can help me out with it Dyer seemed to play in or like a right wing back position in the second half that was new yeah um it certainly and by the was, way I thought uh, it worked. Yeah. So a couple things off of what you've said there, because you said a few things, actually, coincidentally, that I wanted to touch on. So you, first off, going back to the comment you made about uh, Matt Doherty, that he's a player that Tottenham fans want to start. But then you mentioned a, the other name for me, and that's Kulisevsky. He's the one that I come out of this game, because remember, they haven't been starting him because he's been hurt. But let's not lean on that as the reason that he hasn't been starting. When he was healthy, remember he was taken out of the starting 11 and Richarlison was put in. And I even said then, I don't know what Kulisevsky did to warrant that, but so be it. I was thinking about it during halftime, JJ. I was watching NBC's coverage and the two Robbies and Rebecca Lowe were talking about Tottenham and Harry Kane and how they were saying the problem with Tottenham is that they, they need another Harry Kane. Like Kane is a great goal scorer and a great playmaker but he can't play the ball. Like as a playmaker, he can't play it to himself to score goals. They need a guy who can do that to get yeah. the best out of Kane. Kulisevsky, that's him. He did it last season. He comes on in this game for Tottenham, does it immediately, set, assists Kane on the goal. Like he's the guy. And so, look, I like Richarlison. I mean, he's hurt right now. He'll be back at some point. But Kulisevsky has to start. If they have to cycle things up to keep guys fresh as they go deeper in the Champions League or, and domestic com- cup competitions come into play, fine, so be it. But under normal circumstances, when you need to play your best 11, Kulisevsky has to be a part of it, not just because he's really good, but I think, speaking to what they said, I think he brings the best out of Kane and Son, and you need the best out of those players if this team is going to qualify for Champions League or make a run in the competition. He's got to start. No more of this. I don't know. I still don't understand why he was removed in the first place. Well, so that that was my takeaway. Well, when um, we're when Richarlison is fit, I I do think you have to find a way to get both those guys into the team, which 
it, it's it's tough because then when Son is fit, like how how you how you kind of put that attacking um, core together is something that that Conte is struggling with. But I, it should be noted, like Conte hasn't really had every everybody available. Um, there's, I suppose, at the start of the season he did, but then you know it's been Richarlison, it's been now it's Son, Kulishevsky's yeah. only coming back in. I, I, I don't, I don't... want to hear that. That's every, every team for the most part. Maybe maybe Arsenal has managed to stay relatively healthy. Um, but I don't know. Every team deals with that throughout the course of a season. Like Some more than others, but I don't know. Tottenham, there's still a good 11 out there. Well, look, if you want to solve the first half problems, I think you start the team that finished the second half. <laughs> you know? with the mm-hmm. with Maybe with the obvious caveat, you don't maybe start Lucas Moura, but... I mean, it was night and day. Now, Liverpool probably, as is par for the course, uh, probably dropped off a little bit in the second half, but they struggled to do anything. Tottenham, it was like wave after wave, and I honestly thought an equaliser was coming. Um, it's weird. It's a defeat for Tottenham, but I do think, there, think there's things they can take from it, and equally, it's a, it's Liverpool's first away win, which is... Unbelievable. Oh, it's, it, it just... And if they hadn't have won that today, I mean, we're really beginning to think, well, can this team finish in top four? Can it make the Champions League? But I think there's things Liverpool can take and be happy with. Um, just a weird kind of game. Two teams who are, they've got their flaws, they've got their problems. And now, with that defeat, you see Newcastle, who hammered uh, Southampton. They take that third place spot, which... They are so far ahead of where I thought they'd be. It's frightening. I, uh, and I, I agree. And I talked it's about amazing. Them. Yeah, but there's uh, who was it said? I think one of the Robbie said there's maybe not going to be enough seats at this party in terms of the top four. Someone, someone big's going to lose out. Oh yeah, <laughs> more than one. No. Yeah, probably. I mean, like we talk about the big six. Like you can throw Newcastle now if you want to call it a big seven. So you potentially you got three teams that probably feel like they should be playing in Champions League football that aren't going to be. Um, that's that's significant. So yeah, um, good night for Liverpool though. Uh, even with what you're saying that you know maybe they were fortunate uh, ultimately to get off this 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 road record, this Schneid that they've been on um, to get Salah continue scoring goals the way he is. I mean, I look at a guy like Salah, JJ, the fact that like he's going to have this break during the World Cup when a lot of these other guys from, from top clubs are going to be going off and, and grinding. Um, he's going to have time to kind of recuperate and, and regenerate for the, the latter portion of the season. It could be, it could, this could wind up being another really big year for him. Absolutely. Um, a staggering uh staggering stat that uh, got thrown out during the broadcast today. Oh, not during the broadcast. I think it was the guys from the Anfield Rap. Um, in terms of league goals, Mohamed Salah is two behind Kenny Daglish. The, I mean, probably the greatest player ever to play for Liverpool. Two behind Daglish in half the amount of games. Mm. That is just... Staggering, absolutely staggering. Um, 
Salah's been so consistent for Liverpool. Just one, Salah will go down as one of the all-time great Liverpool signings. Even oh, if, if he, he was if he, tomorrow, he might already have that title. Just the transformation from kind of 15 goals a season player at Roma outside, maybe maybe more of a wide player, and then to this goal-scoring machine for Liverpool. He's, he's just tremendous. Yeah, incredible. So a good three points for Liverpool um, as they try to kind of get themselves back in the hunt for uh, for top four. Feels like that's kind of the goal for them this season. Last thing on this, um, you had mentioned on the rundown, JJ, that Gareth Southgate was there kind of monitoring yeah. things and what he might have been thinking watching some of these moments from Trent Alexander-Arnold, Eric Dyer. Um, if you want to take the Trent one, you can. On the Dyer thing, I don't know how he'll see it because Dyer's mistake was atrocious. Like, there's no way around that. But what you touched on was interesting, too. Like, on the plus side for him, I thought his passing was excellent. It was. His crosses were on point, playing, you know, a little bit positionally in an area that you don't necessarily see him. Like you said, kind of out on the right, playing in balls. I mean, it was – I thought in that way he was good. So, I guess it depends what Southgate's looking for. Like, does he – does he see a mistake like that and think, well, this guy's a, generally a pretty good defender. That's a fluke. And the things he did well stand out. We could use those qualities. Or does he look at a mistake like that and think that's a red flag? Like in a tournament where one mistake is the difference between moving on and going home early, he might look at it and say, we can't afford to have guys who are going to do things like that. So I don't know. Um, I, I, you know. I generally, I don't know what he would be thinking watching Dyer in a performance like that. Yeah. I'm not sure that there's much Trent Alexander-Arnold can do, right or wrong, that's going to change uh, Gareth Southgate's perception of him. And maybe not his perception of him, but that the things he does is just not what he wants from his fullback. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, don't think, I don't think the game today would have dissuaded him from any of that. I think he's, his opinion on, on Trent Alexander-Arnold is pretty set now at this point. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So congrats to you, JJ. I, I don't have the scoreboard in front of me, but the caught offside cup is, uh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. I don't know. It's just like someone, someone out there just has it in for me. Tottenham had like, they had owned Liverpool. And then we started this podcast, like me, a Tottenham fan and you, a Liverpool fan. And like, it was just like, okay, well that, we're going to screw the guy who likes Tottenham now. And we're going to have this be the most one-sided thing ever. And also, by the way, in the midst of this, yeah, Liverpool are going to beat them in a Champions League final also. This isn't even a competition. The cup is, it's over. What do I, like, do these wins even phase you anymore? Does it even, like, mean anything to you? I've never really viewed Tottenham as a rival, to be honest with you. Not really. And, uh, just beating up on them has become par for the course. That's nice. I, I want to be mad about that, but like what? But they're not traditionally a rival, and I suppose, I mean, that period you talk about where, where they owned Liverpool. Okay, cool. Show me your medals. Oh, wow. Let's just, let's just fall back on all the tropes. Let's, let, let, me, let me just parade out every cliche. No, it's not better cliche. than that. It's it's not a cliche. I don't. They're just. I have never seen them as a rival. But anyway, let's let's go on. There's more games to talk about. By the way, I should mention Andrew. 
dropping tomorrow before we go much deeper in this podcast dropping tomorrow we've got a uh, we've got more youtube content for you thank god we've got we've got a uh, messi versus ronaldo one rivalry two goats and the era that remade the world's game i'm talking to jonathan clegg and joshua robinson the authors of the club which was about the premier league who've also written this book about messi and ronaldo we had a conversation really excited to get it out there and for people to listen the link to our youtube will be in the description we need uh, we need more people to subscribe so we can uh, start pushing out more stuff but uh really good chat with the guys and um yeah they said a couple of things uh, a couple of interesting things came up about uh particularly about ronaldo um which mm. um, which people will, I, th- I hope they'll enjoy wow i even i can't wait for this and i don't care for much of your content <laughs> you don't even want me doing things on my own uh, let's see. Let's continue now, JJ. Chelsea and Arsenal. And Arsenal go to the bridge and win 1-0. And this is getting serious. Uh, Arsenal won three consecutive Premier League games against fellow, quote-unquote, big six opposition for the first time since February through April of 2012. Um, I mean, we've said for a few weeks now that, like, yeah, Arsenal, like, there's a title race right now, certainly, and Arsenal are right there, punch for punch with Man City. They're actually ahead of them. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think there's been this, I guess I don't want to speak for everyone, but certainly a part of me that even in saying that, I still am kind of thinking, but yeah, but Man City will like, they'll just power on and find a way and like Arsenal And they might may very well bit. do that. Yeah. And Arsenal might fade a little bit at some point. They might get a couple knocks and, you know, but like. I don't know. I don't know what it was about this game specifically. Maybe just like I view Stamford Bridge a difficult place to go. I know teams have been able to go there and have a little more success recently, but it's just I don't, I can't put my finger on it exactly. But I just watching this one and the way Arsenal kind of were able to grind it out, um, I I kind of walked away from it thinking like this is actually like this is actually a serious thing that like is is not to be taken lightly like arsenal feel like they're they could be in this for the long haul yeah i think so and and you're right these are these were tests in the past before when we had faith in arsenal certainly in the later wenger years and even in you know the the brief tenure of say someone like unai emery we looked at at Arsenal and we'd say, okay, okay, that's, that's a team that might do something, but invariably they would go to places like Stamford bridge and they would lose. And that is a test to the metal of this team. And they've passed so far with the exception of, of when they went to old Trafford and got beaten, even though I think they put in a fine performance there. Um, but Arsenal are good. Arsenal are legit. The interesting thing coming out of this game for me is not Arsenal per se, because I think we can, we can speak to their bona fides as uh, as being in this title race right now. Um, it's it's more Chelsea for me, Andrew. And this is kind of after the the Brighton reverse, and um, although they I negotiated their Champions League group well in the end, this is the first little bump in the road for Graham Potter. Um, and he had some words that Chelsea supporters may not have enjoyed hearing after the game said, we played against the team in a really good moment. Credit to them. The boys gave everything. It was a huffing and puffing performance from us. Overall, Arsenal deserved to win. And whilst the goal is a disappointing one, we haven't got a complaint over the result. Arsenal are in a good moment and confidence. I've been working together for a long time. The effort was there. 
we were just beaten by the better team today. And he, in, in some of the, his other comments, he talked about fluidity. Like, when, when do we see Potter ball? Not, like, when do we, I, I know they're not just going to automatically be the, the, the well-oiled machine that Brighton were, which sounds kind of funny. Chelsea aren't going to be the well-oiled machine that, that lowly Brighton are. But when are we going to see Potter really stamp his authority on this team? Well, I think two things. One, that I don't know. Did Chelsea fan was was that statement in some way controversial? Like I didn't hear anything in that that would cause me to raise an eyebrow. Uh, I don't think Chelsea fans would enjoy hearing that. You know, we were just beaten by the better team. We huffed but and they, puffed. I think the huffed and puffed part of it would be, like, I think, you know, there's he's he's, we he's, tried, but but. That I just, team is in a good moment, and it's a tough team to be. I, I don't know, like maybe I don't. To me, there's nothing wrong with anything that he said there. It's not that there's. It's not that there's anything wrong, Andrew. Like it doesn't have to be binary. Oh, that was good. That was bad. This is right. This is wrong. It's not that for me. It's that. Just, I don't know. I I kind of expected. Expected him to whip this team into shape a little bit quicker. And it seems as if he's mired with some of the same problems that Thomas Tuchel had and Frank Lampard had as well, which was kind of getting a fluidity out of this team. Now, they are missing key players. There's no question about that. They've had injuries to Chilwell and Reese James, even more importantly. So, so I, you know, I take that on board. But I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'm just expecting too much at this point. Maybe I'm expecting the fact that he has to play Obama Yang, which just does not seem like a player Potter would sign at all, wouldn't fit into it. Um, and we, we, we talked about towards the end of, of Tuchel's tenure, the the passing. Remember, we looked at those passing maps, which were just, ugh. So it's hard to get a team out of that kind of funk, maybe. And like, obviously, Potter is there for the long run. I think I think Chelsea really do believe in him. But I, I don't know. I just I kind of expect, I mean, look, expect a bit more. A bombing yang, that's a thing. I mean, he was taken off after 63 minutes in this one, and I believe he had an XG of 0.03 and only two touches in the opposition box. That's not like, good. No. No, it's not. And that is hard-hitting insight here on Caught Offside. <laughs> um, so, so, like, he's dealing with that. It seems like he hasn't quite figured out the right role for Raheem Sterling. Um, I don't know. His impact just doesn't seem to be there right now for this team. But, like, in his first six matches, he won five and drew one. So it's not to say that he's come in and it's been a rocky start. They've hit a little bit of a bump in a, in the road. Um, but I wouldn't be – I don't know. It's, it's nothing at this point that I would find truly, like, worrisome. I suppose. No, I'm not. It's not. And again, it's not that I'm worried. I'm just, I'm just expecting more than one shot on target from mm-hmm. a team managed by Graham Potter. That's got, you know, Mason Mount, Obama Yang, whatever you think of him, Kai Havertz. I don't know. I just, ex- Raheem Sterling. I just expected a, a little bit more, uh, but you know what? Rome wasn't built in a day. Maybe, maybe this thing was so haphazardly put together over the last few years that it's, it's, it's going to be tougher for him to turn around and it's going to take a little bit longer than we expect. Progress, JJ, is not always linear. 
That is some insight right there. From the one depths other of, note, from the depths of your despair, you're really you're really giving out the nuggets of wisdom tonight. One one other note that I wanted to mention about this while we're talking about managers, I want to talk about the other one in this game, Mikel Arteta. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of a lesson to be learned here with what's happening with Arsenal right now, and that is stability matters. Um, you know, don't like if 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 you're in the front office, if you're ownership, if you're the board, like don't always bow to fan pressure or media pressure. If you actually, if you believe deep down inside that you have the right guy. And I think they did think that, and there was quite a bit of fan and media pressure last year, early on when Arsenal were struggling, you know, this guy's got no CV. What's he doing here? We're a big club. Get him out of here. There's a lot of that. You saw a lot of it in mm. the, uh, in Certainly the was. Amazon documentary. Um, but they stuck with him, and they're benefiting. Rio Ferdinand said this on BT Sport. He said, look at the managers who have had success, and they've been given time. Klopp, Pep, they were given time. Now Arteta's following that. There's a sense something is happening at Arsenal. Are this team the real deal? You can sense something. You know, I do. You know, there's obviously a moment in time to get rid of a manager, but like, I, I do think that there is something to allowing a guy a proper amount of time for his team to get to know him and him to get to know his team. And um, I think, you know, I think Arsenal are kind of bearing the fruits of that right now. And we'll see, by the way, like we'll, Arteta might become the, the next big thing among young managers in this sport. Arsenal may not. He might wind up leaving Arsenal. So well, last last week, there was this rumor about him going to Barcelona. Barcelona. I, if he went from Arsenal to Barcelona, he would need his head examined. That would be insanity. Lunacy. <laughs> um. So there you go. Arsenal uh, remain top 1-0 over Chelsea. JJ leads United and Bournemouth 4-3. Jesus Christ, what a game. This game one had a little week. bit of an MLS feel to it, I felt like. End-to-end, <laughs> not necessarily the world's best defending. Lots of Americans involved. <laughs> yes, now, now, now because of uh, MLS Cup Final, MLS is the gold standard from which Andy will reach and draw his, his comparisons from. Unbelievable game. Absolutely unbelievable. Jesse Marsh looking, trying as hard as he can to be booed off at halftime and cheered around the ground in the one game. That was his, that was what it's he was crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and, you know, they, it's hard to, it's hard to square leads in the first half. And then leads in the second half because they were so good in the second half. It was wave after wave of attack. Um, I think their their substitution, Somerville again, mag- another magnificent performance. I thought Tyler Adams was really good, just like again, particularly in the second half, just barking around and bullying people and telling them to fuck off. You know, you could see him mouthing that uh, at someone, which is a video that's gone viral. Um, but this is not sustainable. They can't keep doing this. They simply can't. It'll cause the death of either the manager or, or one of the players. It's it's too it's too much. And 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 Marsh acknowledged it in his comments afterwards. He he kind of said we're we're searching for that consistency. Now that's two wins on the bounce. Two very good wins, unexpected against Liverpool, and a dramatic um, comeback at home to Bournemouth. Those six points are great. I'm not saying that. You cannot play like this every weekend. Surely not. No. And the same, by the way, could be said of Bournemouth, who this is now two weeks in a row where they have thrown away second half two-goal leads 
if they are relegated at the end of the season, I think you could look back at the end of October slash beginning of November and circle it as to a big reason why. Um, but on the Leeds United side of it, um, you know, this was, like you said, he was booed off at the half. And you think like the, the atmosphere around them was very toxic in that moment. And you think, okay, well, if they come out in the second half, the fans will be behind them. It's a new half. This game is still, the, it's still within reach. First half was crap, but like, it's still there. Toxic environment or not, here we go. And it starts with another Bournemouth goal in the first two minutes of the second half. And you think this could, this is going to really get away from them. This is like, this is a problem. So I give Marsh and I give that team credit for like this. It felt like, like I was going to say it, it feels like there was a chance for this to snowball. It did like the snowball happened. This like after it was bad, another bad thing happened. Uh, So I give them, I mean, I give them real credit. Marsh talks about all the time, like having belief like that, you know, it's a big thing with him positivity. And, um, you know, I got to think he's gotten through to this team with seeing a performance like that when, you know, when the atmosphere in that ground was where it was at for them to fight back and, and get three goals in the second half to go on and win it. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. They need a run of games where they win two nil. A boring, boring 2 0. They go up just before half time and they get one on the hour mark, and that's it. I will say one thing there's a hallmark of, of the, the last really exciting wave of leads at the end of the early, at the end of the 90s into the early 2000s was, was really kind of um, marked by young players and uh, Notto and Somerville are two guys that really just were so excited. I'm not even talking about, I, I include Tyler Adams and, and, and Brendan Aronson in that as well. But um, Somerville has been fantastic, just fantastic. The way he took his goal, the way he took the winner, and Notto is, just seems to get on the ball. I hope I'm saying his name right. Ganotto, Notto, not sure. But the way he attacks as well. The, so, so there's kind of, Leeds fans are in this weird position. Like they're, they're watching swashbuckling, exciting football at times, but they're also watching terrible, terrible football that makes them think they're in real danger of going down. And sometimes all in the same game. It's it's really, uh, it's a kind of a schizophrenic Yorkshire outfit right now. Yes, yeah, certainly true. Um, let's see, JJ, one more here. Uh, Aston Villa, Manchester United, 3-1 to Villa. Um uh, Eric Ten Hag, not happy after this performance for Manchester United, kind of let his team have it. Mm. Um, was the word he used stupid? I think. Did he say stupid? Was in his, was in his post-game comments about their approach, Ooh. talking about when they were, you know, some of their decisions of playing, cro- some of the, where they were playing crosses into Ronaldo were from, you know, the, just the wrong areas. Uh, he was not happy with how they carried out the game plan. And uh, and they paid for it. 3-1. They, they certainly did. Uh, one interesting note out of this was the, the first Villa goal was really, really good. The Luca Dina free kick was amazing. But a video came out afterwards where it shows Emmy Martinez running up to the halfway line. And from his vantage point, a little bit out towards the sideline, he's shouting and instructing where the Villa players should stand in front of the wall to obscure, I presumably to obscure either the United wall or David De Gea, which I, I've never seen a goalkeeper do that. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't I I don't know that I can say I have either. Yeah, you see him and he's running up and he's it, he's almost like setting he's like a photographer setting up a photo shot, but from like 50 yards away. <laughs> very very strange. Also another thing at the weekend I, I I've never seen before in the in MLS Cup final, the ball goes down into the corner and the linesman is running down and the union players trying to hold the ball up and the linesman coaches the players through it. He's like, wait, 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 watch, watch, watch your back, watch your back, back in, in, back in, in, good, 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 good. Okay, okay. Like he's the linesman. Hmm. It was, How do we it feel was all about that. I didn't love it. I think they should, whatever happens, happens. Just let them play. You don't need to coach them to make sure that they're within the rules. That's right, like this rugby. isn't like a youth rec league. Right. But he did it. And I believe that linesman, that same linesman is going to the World Cup. Yeah. But it, it felt like rugby where in the scrum, the referee has an active part in, in coaching the scrum so it comes together correctly. Very, very odd. Uh, Unai Emery, back in the win column in the Premier League. Uh, one of the most interesting coaches in Europe. Is this... Will this time around, will this be different for him than it was with Arsenal? Um, I don't know, Andrew. One concerning thing was that there were so many names that Villa spoke to, apparently, we hear from reports before they got to Emery, that you worry that there's no real big plan except get a big name in. Now, he's got off to a great start, granted. Um, I mean, he is an amazing coach with, with... an amazing CV. The way he left Villarreal has not not gone over well to leave them mid-season. But um, I will be totally honest with you. I don't know what they'll be. But if today's, if they can replicate what happened today, I mean, they've just been so much better since they got rid of Steven Gerrard. Like it's it's. I know they had that one loss, but it's been jarring how good they've been. Uh, that's about all I got for the Premier League, JJ. Um, Can I just give you a few quick things, Andrew? Um, yeah. One quick thing from the Premier League. Uh, Leicester beating Everton. Uh, Yuri Tielemans, which is maybe... It's going to be it's going to be a contender for goal of the season. Uh, ball pops out, takes it on the knee, and volleys it um, into the top corner. Just a beautiful, beautiful goal. And uh, Pickford can't get close to a top corner. Wonderful goal. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Um, and Lazio beat Roma in the Rome Derby today. And we've got a listener, Spencer Thomas, who's a college sophomore. He's followed soccer most of his life. And he is going to be studying in Rome next spring. So he asks Roma or Lazio. Um, and he wants advice on that. Honestly, I would advise go drink in the culture and whatever team takes your heart, go with them. I um, That's the right answer. I don't I know think if you that, want to take sides. I don't think you do. I mean, might be an idea just to delve into the, uh, into the history, the history of uh, Lazio fans and uh, some of the causes they have politically supported. Maybe just have a little look at that, yeah. but otherwise it's up to you. I would never tell you not to. And then one more thing. Um, I can't believe it. I, I didn't obviously I didn't see the game, but I've been following the tweets. Uh, Ollie Vargas tweeted, "Welcome to South American football. Ten red cards, seven of them in the final minute of the game. This was in the Trofeo de Campeones uh, match today, which was Boca Juniors one, Racing Club two, and there was 
a lot of red cards. Ten, seven in the seven of them in the final minute of the game. Absolutely <laughs> unbelievable stuff there. And that's it. That's just what few things I wanted to just shove in there. Wow, well, that's unbelievable. Well, uh, let's see. We'll close it out with the mailbag in a sec. Just a reminder, though, before we do, this coming Wednesday, we will finally learn, JJ, who will be boarding the flight to Qatar for the U.S. men. Uh, we will have our reaction that night. We'll be recording a podcast. Of course, we've been, I mean, we've been building up to this moment for literally years. Uh, we've been debating who should or shouldn't be on that team. I'm fascinated to see how recent injuries will play uh, a role into the decision-making process. Will Luca De La Torre still have the spot there? I mean, I assume Weston McKinney, I, I'm not even thinking that there's a doubt there, but maybe we're going to come to find out that his injury situation is is more worrisome than we knew. I, I don't know. Chris Richards, another one. What's the center back position going to look like? Um, we're getting to that. Like It's getting real now. And so midweek, we're going to find out. So you and I will have a reaction, of course, and a podcast out. You'll probably see it early, early Thursday morning. Uh, now so keep your eyes open for that one yeah absolutely so i got a media alert from the people at the empire state building to say that u.s men's soccer coach greg bearhalter will light the empire state building red white and blue for the world cup team reveal on wednesday november 9th 2022 um so i got excited about this i rsvp'd i said i'd be there um the u.s men's national team soccer team head coach will visit the iconic Empire State Building for ceremonial lighting ahead of revealing the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup roster later that evening. Oh, I thought he was going to do it in the morning. Well, what's the problem? Well, am I just going to go to the Empire State Building to see Greg turn the lights on? No. I want some roster. Give me some roster. Oh, that makes I don't know. Sense. Light, the lighting sounds very uh, a moving, emotional ceremony. I think uh, I think it's important that you be there for that. Yeah, no, I was hoping. Yeah, maybe I'll have to just go back for the press conference. Oh, maybe I could go live from the podcast for the podcast from there. Hmm. They won't let me in. Uh, so yeah, wherever JJ is, I don't know, but I can tell you that there'll be a a podcast out where we're gonna we'll comb through it. I can't wait. I can't wait to finally see it down on paper. All right, you got a mailbag here? Yeah, mailbag uh, at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. Go follow us there. Caught Offside Pod on Instagram. Caught Offside Pod at gmail.com on the Gmail's emails. Um, so I just wanted to quickly post this one because I had a bit of an interaction on Twitter after I posted a video of Gary Neville getting taken to task on the satirical UK, UK TV show, Have I Got News For You, for his forthcoming work for BN Sport at the World Cup. So you saw the video, Andrew. Um, Gary Neville is, is guest hosting Have I Got News For You, and um, which is basically like a news show. It goes through the week's news in a funny manner. Uh, but I've got to say, from the, from the little clips that I was watching, I kind of, I, I would watch that show. It is a good show. Very a long-running show. It's running since 1990, I believe. Um, but Gary was on and he was taking the task over the fact that he's going to Qatar to work for an, an arm of the Qatari state, in this case, BN Sport. And he's taking their money and Neville's made the argument, oh, well, I'm, I'm going and, you know, we can highlight the problems in Qatar and, you know, and, and, but, but still while working there for 
the Qataris. And uh, Ian Hislop. Well, he said he said that there are two options: you can go and say something and highlight the problems, or you can stay home and keep quiet. That's not; those aren't the two. But that's right. ridiculous. Yes, there. And then I, I don't know who the other panelist was, but he pointed out, Gary, there is very much a third option where you can stay home and also highlight the problems. Right. Absolutely. So, um, so I posted that, and I thought because I thought it was brilliant. And uh, Stephen Anderson got back to us, and, and he, like in fairness, he wasn't he wasn't being snarky or anything. He was genuinely kind of putting a question. He said, "It is terrific," referring to the video. But the same can uh, can be asked of us watching. Are we not supporting the Qatar World Cup by watching? And to be direct, are you not monetizing it by having a podcast focused on it? What is the defense? You could highlight the atrocities without profiting off of it. Um, and he just said, it is making hypocrites hypocrites of us all, is my only point. So I just responded, I don't think it's fair to compare what we might make off covering the World Cup to what Gary Neville is being paid by an arm of the Qatari state to cover it. The argument, well, aren't we all hypocrites to a degree, just has a stultifying effect on real debate. The ordinary football fan never asked for a World Cup in winter in a place like Qatar. They have little to no agency. I think a situation where journalists expose the situation, players talk about the wrongs, and the public watches and is informed is as good as we can hope for. And I actually do believe that because there's a lot of criticism going the journalist's way. Oh, why are you going there? But that's a journalist's job. Like a war is a bad scenario, is a terrible thing. But you wouldn't expect a journalist not to cover war. You know, um, now we it's not like they're receiving money from the Qatari state to do it. That's where Gary Neville is really compromised, I think. Um, I would say your your response is actually a pretty good one. I think it's that. the best we can hope for, right? Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, because I do see his point that like a lot too. of us, I do too. a lot of us are going to look hypocritical. We're going to sit here and we're going to bash. Um, a lot of what is going on there, and then we're going to speak glowingly about everything else that's going on there from a soccer perspective, and it's just going to be this. It's just going to look. It's going to feel uncomfortable, um, and you know this is this is a really mentally conflicting moment for a lot of sports fans out there who can't wait for this tournament, but are also horrified by the nature in which it's being put together and how it was awarded in the first place. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't really know how to reconcile the two. I mean, is it is it wrong to love the soccer and hate what else is going on? The the slave labor, you know, the, yeah. the corruption. Um I mean, can can the two exist together? Like I can love this tournament and and hate the rest of this? Like I don't I don't know. If I you think can have, I think they can. can have I mean, both. I think you can have both. We had it in Russia. I mean, nobody thought that Russia was a perfect place to hold a World Cup, and there was a lot of issues going into Russia, but that was a hugely enjoyable tournament. Well, I enjoyed it anyway. So, yeah, you can. And also, the thing we love is being wielded by people we hate. That's that's just the way it is, whether it's corporate interests, FIFA, or, or countries that we do not deem to have significantly... Um, in line human rights values. They've taken this tournament that we've always watched and and um, 
and have hijacked it. Um, but we still want to watch the tournament. Is that that's not our fault? And we're not tacitly, or I don't think we're tacitly supporting these regimes if we continue to watch soccer. You know, that's just the way I feel anyway. Um, let me see. Oh, there's a. Do you want to read the next one, Andrew? It's a union based, I believe. Um. Yeah. Sure. Is it Dermot Keenan? No, no, no. The one isn't there. One about the Philadelphia Union. Uh, from Matt Graham. Yeah, read that one. Okay. Sorry, Dermot. Uh, JJ. Dermot's going to get red. Relax. He's instructed me to ignore you and uh, treat you like garbage. Never, Dermot. But Matt, you you shall be acknowledged. Uh, he writes, despite the union's disappointing end, they had a great season this year and particularly a great defense. Meanwhile, Jesse Marsh's leads have struggled to defend. Given that both teams play a pressing-oriented style, is there anyone from the union back line that you would recommend leads take a look at signing over the winter transfer window? Matt, it's funny you bring that up because I believe Kai Wagner is, I mean, it's not, there's nothing certain, but he's been linked to leads for quite some time now. Um, and it feels, I mean, Tom Bogart reported that it is almost definite that Kai Wagner will be leaving the union sometime in the January transfer window for a European club. And the talk has been that leads are high on that list and his price tag is not very high. Uh, so it might be even more appealing, especially with the season he just had. He was a brilliant player. Um, so I would tell you that you, you've kind of nailed it. Like, I think that this is very much a possibility. I would say it's, it might even be likely that this happens. So there you go. Like you, you nailed it, Matt. Leeds might need some help. Is there anyone on the union? Yeah. And, and they're talking reportedly. So, um, yeah. So start uh, preparing yourself to see him linking up with a former teammate of his in Brendan Aronson sometime, maybe later this season. And now to so that's not for- definite. I don't mean to say that like it's a like it's a definitive thing, but it, it makes sense. And there's reports that that it's a possibility. So I have a feeling that it could go in that direction. And now to the aforementioned Dermot, uh, Dermot Keenan in, from Dublin uh, with the upcoming Spurs v Liverpool match, which has already happened. I'd love to hear from both of you what your top three matches between our sides are. When I saw our sides, it's probably best to say I'm an avid Liverpool fan who had a Spurs fan as a dad before he passed away years ago, and I have a soft spot for Spurs, especially when Ireland's talisman Robbie Keane shone at the lane. And as a fellow Irish red, as a fellow red and Irishman, JJ, I'm looking forward to the World Cup. And which game will be the biggest shock result? I'm putting it out there that I reckon the US men's national team will beat England, or maybe Wales, and cause a huge dent in Garrett's hope. Keep up the great work. Regards all the way from Dublin. Thanks, Dermo. Eh, uh, hmm, top three. I'm, I'm going to go with two. I've just picked two, and I've been fair and balanced. Uh, so I've gone for um, a Tottenham win for my first one, which is the FA Cup quarterfinal, 94-95. Liverpool won Tottenham two. Teddy Sheringham with one of the goals. And you know who had the winner, Andrew? For Tottenham? Yeah. 94-95? Mm. If I do an impression, it might help. Jurgen? Oh, yeah. I'm very, uh, I was very, very excited. You know, the Scottish goal at Anfield, you know, it's such a, such a special ground with some, you know, some very, very great players have played there. So, you know, it was cool. I haven't heard that impression in a long time. Wow. A long, long time. Jurgen Klinsmann with the goals. Two excellent goals. And the other one was uh, December 15, 2013 for me. Uh, tremendous characters. Liverpool go to Andre Villa, Boish's 
Tottenham and win 5 0. That was, oh, I love that game. That was such a good game. Uh, I'm trying to think of the ones that come to mind for me. I would say, um, I remember there was one, I think it was 4 0 for Tottenham. Uh, Benoit Asuakata had like a laser goal. It might have been the first game of the season back in the. Benoit Asuakata. Wow. The, was that 2011? I'm trying to remember. Um, I'll give you a recent one too. Um, boy, a few years ago, Tottenham and Liverpool played out a 2-2 draw that was just so exhilarating. Salah had an feel, amazing goal. Yeah, Wanyama had this just absolute thunderbolt goal. Uh, there was late controversy. Lamella drew a penalty. Kane equalized deep in stoppage time. It was a really, really fun game, back and forth. Um, so I'll give you that one too. Um, so that yeah, those are a couple that come to mind. Nice. And a final note: uh, something that struck me from the mailbag from Brandon. Dear Andrew and JJ, congratulations on the new venture with the podcast. We were all excited to have you lead us, listeners, in a new way. Several years ago, I wrote how I first listened to your podcast the night of USA falling off from qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. Mm -hmm. I was up late at night dealing with a health issue and found your podcast as a way to hopefully calm me down and lift my spirits. Success. Well, five years later, here we are again. A new health issue keeping me up late at night. Called on the podcast yet again and a new episode was waiting. USA, however, have qualified this time. Still, success. Thank you both for simply showing up for all of us. We appreciate it sometimes more than we can express in an email, Brandon. Wow. So, Brandon, I, I don't know what's going on with you right now, but I I hope you come out the other side of it, and um, we'll keep putting out podcasts, and I hope you keep listening, and I hope it's a help. Oh, man. Yeah, all the best. And yeah. uh, And JJ's right. We'll continue to show up, and we'll help take all of you through this world cup because we cannot wait. We've obviously covered the build up to death. Now here it is. I'm, uh, I'm already scared for when it's over. What now? <laughs> what, what do I do when this is done? I feel oh, like I'll just be kind of lost in the wilderness. You're already thinking about the bad thing. I know. It's how I live my life. It is. It's very, very true. Okay. Well, there you have it. There you have it. I, that uh, was a podcast. I made it through this podcast coming out of maybe among the worst sports weekends of my life. Um, and I think I did it with, uh, with some real professionalism and, and, and dignity, which is not usually, you don't always have the dignity. No, no, I, I shun dignity. I've got no use for it. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, I'm glad you negotiated the podcast without tears or rancor or getting mad with me. I also think I was gentle with you too. Yeah. You had a couple moments there. The whole, the whole, uh, trophy list thing. I didn't, I didn't care for that. Uh, I don't, I didn't need that. It didn't need to be said. We all know the score here. I don't know why you went there, but, uh, that's just who you are. You, every once in a while, you give people a glimpse at your true colors. And that was, uh, <laughs> That was one of those moments. I've I've never cried on this podcast. I don't even know if I've ever been close. I mean, the night, like I'm at a stage of my life as a sports fan where I don't cry anymore over, um, over sad sporting events. Like I, I'm more likely to cry happy tears. Uh, like when, like the 2019 Champions League run up for Spurs against Ajax, I was I was probably close for that. Um, 
You were in a but, bad yeah. way when you called me about Christian Eriksen, but that oh, was... Oh, well, that was not on the pod. That was not on the pod. You were in a terrible state. Holy God. I mean, I thought I had just witnessed something truly horrifying yeah. in a way that is like hard to even put into words. Thank God it wasn't. And he's out there playing and playing really well. Um, so, yeah. Um, but no. Hey, who knows? Maybe come uh, come late December, maybe I'll be crying some happy tears for a certain uh, team-wearing... Uh, heinous kit. I, lo- I love the a beautiful trophy. You couldn't keep that voice going any further. Maybe I'll, uh, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a lifespan to that sentence formation. You can't keep that voice going. It's one of my favorite Stewie Griffin clips from family guy. Maybe. How's we'll, that, uh, how's that novel going there, Brian? Huh? I got the, uh, got a protagonist. Who's, uh, found his way into some adventures. Enemies become friends. Friends become enemies. No, you're doing fine. Uh, so anyway, that about wraps it up here on Caught Offside. This was a this was a joy, as it always is. We'll be back, like I said, later this week, midweek. Probably look for it. I'd say update your feeds Thursday morning as we dive into the roster. YouTube, subscribe, you losers. Do it now and hit notifications on, you creeps. People do respond to being called losers and creeps in a positive way. So I'd be nice about good... it so far. We have we have thousands of listeners. We should have we should have ten thousand subscribers already. Well, we got to do more content. There's, Don't there's blame the people. Drop Look in, in the Tuesday, mirror. Tuesday morning, Messi versus Ronaldo. Boom! YouTube, turn the notifications on. Go for it. Yes. And it's only going to ramp up once the World Cup starts to kick into high gear. JJ, this was fun, my friend. To you, I say. Check you later, phone boy. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.